there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Jeff T. from the Club 520 Podcast. When it comes to your feet, eBay's got your back. When you see the blue check mark that says authenticity guaranteed, that means real experts are checking your sneakers. Every stitch down to the sole. They even smell them because nothing says fresh like the scent of real kicks. So kick back and relax. From the drop to your doorstep, eBay doesn't play games with your sneaker game. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay Authenticity Guarantee. Visit ebay.com for terms. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. This is the Sports Illustrated Boxing Podcast. It's boxing. A look inside boxing with Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix. Interviews, analysis, and everything going on in boxing. And now a man who I wish was called the Boston Bleeder. All doctors to the ER. It's sort of like getting punched in the face. Chris Chris Mannix. All right, welcome back to another episode of the SI Boxing Podcast. On this episode, I've got Lance Bugmeyer and Mike Coppinger, both from The Athletic. We know that boxing has been ground to a standstill, but we're watching what UFC is doing. We're watching what the WWE is doing. And Mike, Lance, and I talk about whether boxing can use that as a blueprint to get going sooner rather than later. We also talk about all the trash talk going on at the 135-pound weight class, plus could we see a reunion between Abel Sanchez and Gennady Golovkin? Fighter and trainer broke up last year. Is it possible that those two could get back together? Stick around for that really informative conversation with those two guys. A little bit later on, Anthony Joshua, the unified heavyweight champion. He drops by to fill us in on everything going on in his life uh, during this pandemic. I talked to AJ about how he's feeling uh, in the aftermath of the Ruiz fight what he thought of Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder, and what he thinks would happen if he stepped into the ring with Tyson Fury. So a really good conversation with the reigning unified heavyweight champion. Quick housekeeping note, if you like this podcast, a very easy way you can support it, head over to Apple Podcasts, post a comment, leave a rating. It's simple, it's easy, it's free. It's the best way to make sure that we keep doing this podcast week after week. All right, that's it. On to my conversation with Lance Pugmire and Mike Coppinger. All right, joining me now on the podcast, two of the best boxing writers in the business. They are both from The Athletic. They are the co-hosts of the Pug and Cop Boxing Show, which you can listen to every week as well. He's Lance Pugmire and just finishing a drug deal on the corner of La Brea, Mike Coppinger with his sorry. <laughs> we're, we're doing this via, via video as well, uh, which is live on DAZN. And uh, Mike's got an interesting pair of glasses on there. He swears they're not sunglasses, right, Mike? You swear. I just want to say, for the record, these are absolutely not sunglasses. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, no contacts, giving the eyes a rest, giving, giving the body a rest. We're going to come out of this strong, hopefully. Well, I, look, Lance is going to come out of this the strongest because, Lance, what am I seeing on your social media? Are you, like, running – like group marathons now while you're while you're on hiatus what are you doing yeah we just did it we just did what's called a ragnar run which is basically a virtual run from los angeles all the way down below san diego into coronado and uh you know who i enlisted was the top ranked pr guy evan corn who is a, definitely a monster of a distance runner my i ran 17.1 miles total I think Evan ran 17 miles, but over the course of like two runs that were pretty close together. He's just a phenomenal runner. And it was great. It was a great bonding experience. If anyone's ever done it before and like me and you were talking about, Chris, now is the time to get into shape right now with all this downtime. So we took advantage of it. Yeah, Mike, I I think I'm either going to come out of this 
20 pounds lighter than what I was or 20 pounds heavier. It's, it's unclear at this point which direction I'm going to go. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. You know, I, I live in an apartment building that has a gym and not even closed. So I resorted to running. I was real lazy last week. And I was like, all right, I got to put a stop to this now. And I ran on Sunday and Monday. Uh, I hate running, but it has to be done right now. Gone on some bike rides outside, uh, trying to not gain 20 pounds. Not yeah, easy. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, guys. So the there still is no boxing. And there's not going to be any boxing for the foreseeable future. But there are still signs of what could be to come out there. And I want to dive into a few of those. And the first is everything that UFC is trying to do to get back into live events. Now, they recently had a show that was canceled because, you know, Disney and, uh, and and the parent company there, VSPN, said, no, you're not doing it. They got a little bit of a shove from the state of California where that event was supposed to take place. But, you know, Dana White seems hell-bent on, on getting something done and doing stuff behind closed doors. So I'll ask you first, Mike, do you look at what the UFC is trying to do as being – maybe a precursor for some of the things that boxing could do, or are they just, you know, playing in kind of a different uh, ballpark? I'm frankly shocked that boxing wasn't the first one to do this. We always see boxing be the ones that kind of break this barrier. And Tommy Morrison fought with HIV. So nothing's off limits. And I think what we saw Monday with Florida and the WWE is really going to open up the floodgates for boxing or MMA to return in some small way because they didn't say WWE in the memo. They said professional sports in a national, with a national television audience behind closed doors. And obviously they meant that for WWE, but I think that now everything's opened up. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, we saw Bob Arum say that he's keeping an eye on that as well. Let me point out, Lance, before I get your take on it, one of my first boxing assignments was when Tommy Morrison, you know, may rest in peace, called me. This was after he was diagnosed with HIV, who called me to tell me he was going to fight and that he no longer had HIV, that it was it was gone, that he was miraculously cured of HIV. But that, that's a separate story. Your thoughts, Lance, on um, just you know what UFC is doing and how it could uh, be connected to boxing. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an opportunity for boxing to jump in and, and get their fights in a venue, especially like Florida. But, you know, I, I was really surprised by what UFC did from the standpoint of having covering, covering the sport for like more than a decade. Their thing has always been, you know, after John McCain said that your sport is human cockfighting to say that, no, it's not. We're going to run to regulation and prove that we're doing things on the up and up. In this case, everything that they were trying to do and trying to get into an Indian casino in central California was definitely trying to you know, get a, get away from regulation and, and hide from the regulators. And it's not what their history has uh, shown them to be. To me, it was a better example of Dana White's loyalty to Donald Trump and trying to say, hey, buddy, buddy, look what I did. You know, we got, we got back to business like you want us all to do. And look, boxing, I agree with Mike that they, they do have a history of trying to do things, you know, that are a little dodgy. And I think that's why you're seeing comments from the likes of uh, Bob Arum and Lou DiBella and, and the PBC officials saying that, look, until we get this, the, the blessing of people like Nevada's Bob Ben or California's Andy Foster, we're going to have to like hold our horses to jump into the lead that, you know, let's be honest, UFC will probably start on May 9th. Mike, when you talk to, to boxing promoters and people in boxing, do you get the sense that there are plans being formulated at least kind of you know put on the the boards at their offices for how to make this work I mean I, I use the example of of the NBA another sport that I cover where you know as soon as they get a medically all clear I'm pretty confident they have a plan in place for how to make things work do you get the sense that promoters or networks have have some kind of infrastructure or or something in place to to be able to hit the ground running I spoke to one prominent promoter last week that said that they already have a bunch of fight deals completed and that they've been going through the motions of figuring out how to hold an event and in particular a four fight card and have it under 50 people going through the permutations to do the teams share cut men. And when I say teams, you know, the different fights, do they have the judges in person or the judges are maybe in a separate room at the arena 
Are they cordoned off? You know, you have to have a timekeeper. You have to have a commission lead. You have to have EMTs. So, you know, it is possible to go with boxing under 50. You look at two fighters, a referee. Um, you don't have to have the commentators in person necessarily. And you can easily get there. So, yeah, people are making contingency plans. I think that we just don't know when it's going to return. I think the bigger issue right now is guys like Brad Goodman at top rank, right? They're always doing these medicals. Are, you know, state boards really going to be bothered with medicals for guys punching each other in the head when we have this going on? Yeah, no, it's a good point. And, well, I would say it's a good point, except that we need commentators, especially those from DAZN. They're they're vital to the, you know, ability for fights <laughs> to to go off as scheduled. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, Lance, what do you think? I mean, one of the questions I had, and I had Terrence Crawford on the podcast last week, and one of the things that he said was, man, I'm not fighting. He's like, I'm not fighting behind closed doors. And if I am, and I'm paraphrasing him here, I want to be paid wow. more money. When the reality is, you're going to have to take less money if you're going to do a fight behind closed doors. Do you? Th I think, Lance, there's still a, a bit of a denial amongst some of the top fighters that this is real, that it seems more likely than not that you're going to see more. You're, the only way you're going to see boxing in 2020 might be behind closed doors. I just, I'm not sure, Lance, that, that these fighters really get it at this point. Some of them definitely don't, but I think some of them do. I mean, you've got, I've talked to a guy at length, Jose Ramirez, who was actually probably the first athlete to have a, an event stopped by the coronavirus over in China. And now his May 9th replacement fight is also scrapped. So, I mean, he's willing to fight and he doesn't really care if fans are there or not. Obviously, you know, it'd be nice for fans and all, all of us to be there and, and to be able to watch us in person. But you know, some significant fights. Uh, Chris, you talked about it. You mentioned it. Anthony Joshua would be the biggest one. I mean, this is a guy that's due to fight in front of 80,000 people. And now he, is he going to go into a, a room with no one in there? What do you do with uh, Vasily Lomachenko versus Teofimo Lopez? And most ominously, what do you do in September if we're still, you know, without the ability to draw an audience and you've got the Canelo Triple G uh, third fight? I mean, that's going to be really the, the most amazing uh, decision of all you really can't imagine mike i mean you can imagine it, maybe even jose ramirez though he does good crowds in fresno like you could see jose ramirez even fighting a josh taylor behind closed doors it wouldn't be ideal but you could envision it you could even see you know foresee maybe even lomachenko versus Lom lopez but the likes of of tyson fury wilder three <laughs> joshua fighting anybody canelo fighting golovkin i mean I don't know. I mean, can you see those fights happening behind closed doors? Or do you think that it's almost worth it for these fighters to wait until like 2021 to see fights like that happen? Chris, I really think it's a matter of how long the wait's going to be, like you said. Because Wild the Fury 2 brought in around $17 million from the gate alone. You're going to lose $17 million. Fighters aren't going to be okay with it. They're not going to want to come out of their pockets. And we know promoters that have all this overhead right now, top rank wants to be hemorrhaging money. Top rank matchroom. Look at all the employees they have and the, all the overhead. I know Top Rank at least owns their office in Las Vegas. That's a big help. And I just don't think you can have these super fights right now um, without these without fans. I think another thing that maybe is going to happen, we're going to see you know, networks like The Zone and other promoters use this as an opportunity to reset the market for good. They're going to say, no more crazy purses. We were affected by this. And get some money back that way because the purses were already out of whack. You know, it's, it's understandable. Zone had to pay a premium to enter the market. This is the perfect opportunity to reset this for good. Lance, do you, I mean, what do you think of that, Lance? Do you think that these, there could be a market reset when it comes to finances? And I guess the, the follow-up question to that is like, I mean, most guys at most are going to fight once, maybe twice in 2020 if they can cram some stuff into the schedule. But, like, do you think we'll see a greater sense of urgency for bigger fights uh, to happen because they represent the biggest purses? Yes, probably so. But, I mean, going back to your first question about, you know, the market reset, I think that, you know, some of these fighters will be willing for that to happen because they're going to say, look, it's either zero or something. And, you know, we, I think we can get into the idea of exactly what you said about, you know, we all, sometimes we see the, the superstars only fight twice a year. Maybe they'd be willing now to fight three or four times a year if there's no fans here and, and they need something to, uh, to generate, you know, their income. So, I mean, it, it, there could be a positive from the, from the standpoint of activity 
as much as there's a, the negative of, you know, not having fans and not having a, a, a typical sporting event as we've come to expect it over, over time. Oh, maybe we'll see super fights happen quicker, like Andrade versus Charlo, huge super fight <laughs> that would, you know, take over boxing in 2020 if it actually happens. There's my, there's my obligatory get Look, in. Let's be honest, when it comes to, uh, when, when it comes to the super fights, uh, Chris, I mean, Look at all the major sports. I mean, all of these major sports are going to be affected. NBA, MLB, NFL. We're all going to have some answers on those sports by the time we get to the, the super fights that we're talking about. And I think those sports will be the ones that really kind of um, pace, you know, what boxing will do and how boxing will move forward. You know, if they're doing it, then look, we have no choice uh, but to do it as well, even if we're taking the hit on the live gates. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, let's move on to some actual boxing topics here. And one of the stories of this past week was Floyd Mayweather getting back into the news, not with the decision to become a fighter again, but talking about becoming a trainer full-time. Now, I think we can all agree that whatever Floyd says should be taken with an entire lick of salt. He has a, a, a habit of saying things that don't necessarily uh, come true, but... I mean, he does. I mean, if Floyd Mayweather decides to become a full-time trainer, I would imagine there will be fighters that want to work with him. So, you know, Lance, I'll start with you. Both you guys have have covered Mayweather. What do you make of this? Do you think we'll see Mayweather really get into training? And if we do, how successful will he be? I mean, you've been to several uh, gyms over time, Chris, and you know, like trainers are there usually first thing in the morning, ready to go. Think of Abel Sanchez. Think of Freddie Roach. I mean, all of these guys uh, have these incredibly long uh, hours in which they're there from day to night. Is Floyd going to get up first thing in the morning and start his day to start training fighters? I really can't say, see that happening. But I, I will say this. Floyd is a sentimental fool. And I think that he is, you know, he's a deeply, he, he's been deeply touched by the loss of his uncle, and former trainer Roger Mayweather. And he clearly wants to keep that family tradition alive. There is an opportunity and there is a possibility for him to pass along his knowledge to these young fighters. But I, I believe it's clearly going to be on his own schedule and on his terms. And that's usually not the way the, uh, the relationship between a trainer and a fighter works. But as we know, Floyd Mayweather Jr. is a very unique uh, person. Yeah, Mike, what do you think? Because Lance is right. You know, the Freddie Roaches of the world, you know, the Abel Sanchez is there at that gym, you know, first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning for Floyd is like 1130 sometimes based on the way his life works. I mean, what do you think he can pull it off? Or do you think he will pull it off? I don't think he will pull it off. This is a guy who, despite all the money he spent, he's unbelievably rich and wealthy. He doesn't need to do anything right now. And do I think he could become a great trainer? Of course. You know, as a, you know maybe the best mind in boxing. And he sees the game at a different way than everyone else. But I'm just not sure that he's going to have the full dedication and the time needed to, you know. If you're going to train somebody from scratch, that could take hours and hours every day. And he's going to have to realize that guys aren't going to take to it as easily as he did. That could be frustrating. So how many fighters have become great trainers like him? I I don't think there's anyone who has been at at the elite level as a fighter who's really become a great trainer. I mean, Buddy McGurk, yes. But I'm talking about, like, superstars. Roy Jones – has you know found moderate success, nothing approaching his legendary fighting career. Just like you said, I, I take it with an entire grain of salt. Uh, Floyd's still a promoter too. Can you be a promoter and a trainer at the same time? He, you know, he'll probably yeah, hand, I don't know if you can. Put- he'll probably hand select a few chosen ones that he really thinks you know have the either they're at they're champion fighters now or they have the potential to be champions that he can be attached to and maybe take those fighters to the next level. But let's be honest, he's not going to be working with uh, guys who are involved in six and eight, eight round fights. Now, and, and to Mike's point, like you can't like one of the things that would frustrate a superior fighter is working with a guy that doesn't have his natural ability yeah. or his work ethic and not seeing that same level of success, getting frustrated by the fact that, you know, X young fighter can't do the shoulder roll with the success that, that Mayweather had with it. I mean, they're just, they're just rare breeds, these guys, uh, these top-level athletes. You know, keeping with the trainers here, you guys in your last uh, podcast had Abel Sanchez on. And, you know, one of the things I'm interested with Sanchez, you know, his relationship with Golovkin. You know, Golovkin's got a few fights left on this DAZN deal. The first two fights he had with, uh, with Jonathan Banks, they were successful in terms of wins, but it's not like he looked great in both those fights. Could you ever see, after talking to Abel Sanchez, 
Could you guys ever see, Mike, a reconciliation between Sanchez and Golovkin? You know, Lance and I asked Abel that very question. He did not seem optimistic at all. He doesn't see it in the cards. You know, the divorce between those two was over money. And it was a, kind of a bitter split. You know, Golovkin put out the press release. Abel wasn't happy about it. But Abel did say that he wishes Golovkin well. But he also went on to say that he's afraid that Golovkin could get hurt in a third fight with Canelo. So he, he thinks that, you know, Golovkin's fighting the wrong style right now, trying to box off the back foot more. But it just doesn't seem like it's in the working. It would be a great story, though. Yeah, they had a lot of success, Lance. Um, yeah, no, no and, doubt. And I guess the, the, the follow-up question – go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, like, in my opinion, Triple G has no choice but to reunite with Abel Sanchez. You need to dance with who brought you to this level of success. And Abel Sanchez knows Triple G better than any 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 trainer in the world will ever know Triple G. Um, Triple G should swallow his pride – Go back to Abel, pay him what he's deserved, and you know that's going to be his best opportunity at age what thirty eight to defeat uh, Canelo Alvarez after two very close outcomes. Abel is the one who can continue continue to goad Canelo, and he can you know look for a recipe and get Gennady's full attention to look. This is exactly what we have to do to win this fight. And I think honestly, I just got done writing about Hagler Hearns. To me, Gennady Golovkin's only route to victory is to pursue that knockout for very ferociously. Just let those hammers fly, and if they land, they land, and if he runs out of gas, he runs out of gas, and you tip, you tip your hat to Canelo. But to me, that's Gennady Golovkin's only option. Mike, you agree with that as far as his only way to win is to go after Canelo and try to knock him out? Yeah, I definitely agree. I don't see Golovkin outboxing Canelo. Canelo, we know can box in a variety of ways. He showed that he could box off the back foot in the first fight against Golovkin. He was really effective at pressuring in the second fight. And I just don't see that kind of ability in Golovkin. You know, it's not a knock on him. It's just that he's, he's an excellent pressure fighter, and he has to go and just bring the fight to him. And I don't think he's going to knock Canelo out. I, I, Canelo has a great chin, but maybe he can outwork him. Uh, I see a lot of parallels between the third Mayweather-Marquez fight and this third Canelo-Golovkin fight. Because I remember everyone was saying, this is finally going to be the time Pacquiao knocks out Marquez and finishes him off once and for all. And I think that was the fight where I thought Marquez definitely won and was really robbed on the cards. They were both 38 going into that third fight. Both coming off, um, both Marquez and Golovkin were coming off big layoffs. So, look, I'm picking Canelo, but I wouldn't write Golovkin off just yet. Lance, do you, when you look at Golovkin, to keep it with him for a second, do you see... Do you see signs of real age there? Because I go back and forth. I mean, on one hand, I don't think he's the terror that we saw first make landfall back in, what, 2011. On the other hand, you know, the Steve Rolls fight, he was coming off a, a fairly long layoff for him. Uh, the Derevinchenko fight, look, he was sick that week. I know it's an excuse that, that some fighters make for bad performances, but I, you know, I remember him during that week not looking great at all physically going into it. How much of it do you think has been circumstance, and how much of it is that we've, we're now seeing a real decline in Golovkin, who just hit 38? I, you know, to be, honestly, I just see a decline. I mean, it, uh, ever since we saw him against Daniel Jacobs, I mean, look from that point forward, Chris. I mean, he has not been the same, you know, scary boogeyman uh, Triple G that he was. Um, the Jacobs kind of exposed him. He could not get, he could not take out Canelo in their first fight. When I think Canelo entered that fight somewhat reluctantly, um, clearly he had problems with the, uh, the pressure that Canelo brought him in the rematch. And he had a ton of problems with Devrinchenko, whether he was sick or not, you know, like the Deontay Wilder stuff. I mean, we really don't want to hear about excuses. You stepped in that ring. You should have been a better man than Devrinchenko that night. And he was not, he, he gave him all he could handle and he was lucky to get out of there with a victory. So Gennady is clearly on the decline. And I think Canelo senses that that's why you saw Canelo jump at this, taking this third fight. Canelo is out to finish him according to trainer Eddie Reynoso. And I believe that by doing that, Canelo can, you know, really, really stamp himself as the face of boxing heading into this decade. Yeah, I think Canelo, part of that is, you know, he wants to to knock him down, knock him out. But I think another part is, like, he didn't want to give Golovkin that third fight because he knew how much financially it meant to Gennady Golovkin and all that drug talk. I mean, I think Canelo was so pissed off as a result of that, and that was the the biggest reason that that we didn't see that fight for the past year. I mean, that's... 
I'm, I'm glad it's happening, but it, it probably is happening a little bit too late for uh, for for that to be as competitive as I would have liked to have have seen it be. Um, again, when when boxing comes back, we're gonna be some of these big fighters are gonna be looking for big fights, but we're still gonna be on the same hamster wheel with Terence Crawford, aren't we? Like Terence Crawford, 147 uh, pound champion, great fighter, but. Nobody out there left to fight. Even Crawford told me last week, if Errol Spence said, I'll fight you right now, he wouldn't want to take it because he wants to see Errol Spence get one fight back after coming off that car wreck uh, to show that he's still the same Errol Spence in the ring. So in 2020, we're right back where we started, Mike, with Terrence Crawford. I mean, what do we do here if you're top rank uh, with your marquee fighter? I mean, where do you look to find him a fight that people want to see? Well, they're looking in the wrong places right now because they've been in talks with uh, Eddie Hearn about fighting Kill Brook. I have no interest in that fight whatsoever. More of the same if that fight comes to fruition. And you talk to PBC, they, they'll, they'll tell you any day. They're not going to put their guys in with Crawford. And, they, and Top Rank will tell you they would have done the same thing. I don't see Crawford getting a big fight anytime soon. He's going to be 33 this year. And yes, there's no doubt how talented he is. But he hasn't faced anybody even approaching the A-level status. And we don't really know what he quite has. Uh, it, it's really frustrating, but maybe he's going to have to go to something like 154 pounds. I saw him and Jamel Charlo going back and forth the other day. I would love that fight. Yeah, no, that's a that's an excellent fight. Go ahead, go ahead, Lance. That'd be a great option for him. But I mean, I think the problem that I have with Terence Crawford is he, you know, basically every time he's around us, he wants to lecture us about how dare we don't rank him as the number one pound for pound boxer in the world, but. Then again, you, you show some reluctance to step in there against uh, Errol Spence, who's coming off this car crash. It's ridiculous. And if I'm Terrence Crawford, there's no way I accept the Kale Brook fight. I'm saying to my promoter, go out and get me uh, someone at least like Sean Porter. Um, I, need the, I need these kind of fights to be able to say with authority to the guys that I am number one to, the, to all of the, the, all the boxing fans. I'm the best fighter in the world, and this, this showing proves it. Right now, I, 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 he doesn't have really have a leg to stand on, in my opinion, other than what we've seen him in dominating displays against these other guys. Yeah, Lance, one of the yeah, concerns to Lance's I have... point real quick. Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Oh, sorry, I was going to say real quick. To Lance's point, Sean Porter wanted to fight Crawford last year, and then Crawford comes out and says, oh, he doesn't have a belt. He doesn't do anything for me. Like, are you serious? Sean Porter will be light years ahead of anyone else you faced. And, you know, Lance saying we don't know what he has because he hasn't faced anybody. I want to point out, when we say Golovkin looked old against Daniel Jacobs, Jacobs was the first elite fighter Dan Golovkin ever fought. So I don't know if it's all age there. It, you know, Mike, you're right. But let, let me let me follow up with this. Like to your point, you know, Golovkin, it, it's almost a chicken and the egg type of thing, right? Like where he doesn't get the fights in his prime because guys are avoiding him. He gets a little bit past his prime and he fights a Jacobs who is in his prime and suddenly you have the end result. I don't know that I'm, I'd connect it necessarily to, to maybe Golovkin not being what we thought he was when he was destroying all these guys. I mean, there, there were guys just running away from him. You, went, you were covering it. I was covering it you know, during that time. There were guys who wanted nothing to do with him when he was at the peak of his powers, despite the fact that he was a champion or a unified champion or having three belts around his waist. Nobody really wanted to touch him back then. That's true. You're right. No one did want to touch him. But I think sometimes when you're feared like that and you may be on, on the right political side, you don't have the right backing behind you, you have to show a little bit of wiggle room. And I remember Andre Ward wanted to fight Triple G at 168, and Triple G said no. I mean, let's remember, we used to have only eight weight classes. Is it really that crazy to move up eight pounds? I don't really think so. And you're right. Maybe Golovkin would have knocked out Jacobs earlier in his career. But they never fought then. And when Golovkin finally took the leap, Jacobs put him through hell. And I wonder if we're going to see the same with Crawford because Crawford's toughest fight was Victor Postal. Sorry, toughest opponent on paper. He was hurt by, Terry, uh, by Gamboa. He was dropped by Bean Machine, even though the call wasn't called. And I give Crawford a lot of credit for storming back and knocking him out. But we're going to get to that same point soon, 33 this year. And maybe you're going to be saying in two years, wow, what would have happened if Crawford fought Errol Spence or Keith Thurman or whoever in his prime? All right, let me finish, guys, with this. Um... You know, the lightweight division's full of talented young fighters who are all seemingly talking trash to each other at the moment. Like, while there's no boxing, there's a lot of boxing going on uh, on social media. I'm going to phrase the question this way, Mike, and I'll put it to you. Um, five years from now, who emerges from that group of Devin Haney, Teofimo Lopez, Ryan Garcia, Tank Davis, 
Um, I guess even throw Shakur Stevenson in there because he's moving up to 130 and might make a jump to 135 at some point in his career. I mean, of this group of young fighters in that lighter weight class, uh, five years from now, who's the guy that comes out of it as the big star? I'm going to go with Devin Haney. I think he's the most naturally talented and also has been boxing at such a young age, been around all these great fighters like Mayweather and Zab Judah. Seems to have a great head on his shoulders. He's very mature. I think Ryan Garcia is going to be right up there with him. I think Ryan Garcia is going to be a true superstar of the sport, like a Canelo Alvarez, like an Oscar De La Hoya. Um, Tank Davis, very talented, but obvious discipline issues. I hope he can find his way. Teofimo Lopez, I think, is the best of that group right now, but he'll be going up to 140, 140 pounds soon. And Shakur, um, he's another interesting one. I think he's really talented, too. So we have a lot of great young fighters, and I want to see what he can do when he steps up as well. Lance, so what do you go think? Devin Haney for now. Lance, what do you think of the one? If you give me one guy of that group that you would, you know, buy stock in, if you will, uh, to to become that big star in the future, who would it be? I actually like Shakur. I think that you know, look, he's already a world champion, uh, undefeated guy. He's handled by Andre Ward. He's got Bob Arum in his corner. These guys are going to navigate his career brilliantly, I believe, and the way that they are going to deliberately select his competition. Look, he may not be jumping into the fray as eagerly as someone like Tiafima Lopez uh, will be doing, but I think it will be a very, a very, very smart career. And he's getting stronger and more talented as the as the time goes by. So if I have to pick one of those guys, I think it's going to be Shakur. I mean, this guy has a lot of charisma too. And as long as he can kind of like keep his uh, his dark side in check, I think that, you know, Shakur Stevenson definitely um, can be the guy, you know, when you consider, you know, where he is as, as featherweight right now and move, being able to move up in weight and participate in some of these significant fights. To me, he's the guy. Yeah, Mike, let me ask you this, because maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but I really want Ryan Garcia to be that guy because I think boxing, as much as anything, needs someone like him as the standard bearer. You know, a a good-looking kid who's popular on social media, who can jump, who will jump on all the talk shows, you know, kind of like what De La Hoya was during his prime. De La Hoya was so incredibly popular in the 1990s and early 2000s, and yeah, the, the charisma, I think that's really only present in Ryan Garcia at this point. I mean, I, I, I want to believe that the Romero Duno stuff and the Francisco Fonseca stuff foreshadows something great for Ryan Garcia. I'm just, I'm just not convinced yet that those wins mean he's destined to be great. It's a great start for sure. Um, I never had doubted his power anyway. I do have questions about his chin and his defense. But Eddie Reynoso is the best trainer in the sport right now. I have no doubt that he'll do the best to bring the best out of him when it comes to defense and counterpunching ability. And you're right. I do hope it's Ryan Garcia because you, you and I and Lance all deal with him a lot, and he couldn't be nicer. He's always easy to deal with. He's humble, even though he's confident, and he's a credit to the sport. He's a great kid, and Devin Haney's a great kid too. So um, I think it's really a great – yeah, it's a great question, Maddox because 135 can really carry us. And maybe these guys go to 47, mm-hmm. and we can have another kind of welterweight renaissance in a few years. That and the fact that, sure you know, Garcia and Haney have had this great back and forth. Um, can you imagine if they kind of jump into it quickly and put on one hell of a show that leads into three or four uh, other meetings beyond that? That would be sensational. I mean, the sport could really use that with both of these very strong personalities and, you know, unbelievable talents going at each other uh, for years to come. Yeah, as much as 2020 yeah, sucks, and, uh, 2021. Quick, Go ahead, Mike. Sorry, I was going to say, to Lance's point, I think boxing needs to get away from this marinating, as Bob Aaron coined it, so to speak. If Devin Haney fights Ryan Garcia in early 2021, people are going to watch it. No one's going to say, oh, I don't want to see this. It's not big enough yet. The UFC does this all the time. They do the fights when the people want to see it, maybe even before you really want to see it. And guess what? Whoever loses, they're still going to be big, and they're going to be bigger for it. Yeah, Ryan Garcia just put 10,000 people in Anaheim. Like, you'll be able to sell out a stadium, or not a stadium, but an arena for Ryan Garcia versus Devin Haney, no question. And, you know, maybe it leads to two or three fights, and these guys fight a bunch. Yeah, I I agree with both those thoughts. Uh, Fellas, great job. Uh, Enjoy your quarantine. I'm going to probably keep drinking here because that's what I do here (laughs) in Boston. We are all alcoholics. So uh, I hope your time alone is better than mine. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us on, Chris. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris.
there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Now, I'm supposed to talk here about what I remember and what I loved about my first car. And that's easy for me to do because I still have my first car. And as long as it keeps running, and so far so good, I intend to have that car probably until the day I die. Uh, That's how much I love that car. It is like a child to me. Now, it does require some upkeep, and that's why I'm grateful for a place like eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED lights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. All right, Anthony Joshua is here, the unified heavyweight champion who is not vain at all with that backdrop behind him. I've had time to reflect. Just, and if no one's going to love me, I have to love myself. So what is that moment? Do you remember where that was in that picture behind you and what you were thinking in that moment? And I remember the build-up to that moment, okay? And, I, and I'll explain it to you. So I remember in the build-up um, to my rematch. Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I had my own issues going on, you know, that I said I'll, I'll explain one day, but I never wanted to be seen as an excuse. So I just said I took my loss like a man. But what I found is that a lot of my, my industry friends that were smiling in my face really were ready to stab me in my back when I took my loss. And I was like, okay, so this is what this is all about now. Um, so how it was is that when I said I beat Andy, which I knew I would, I knew I knew the tactics to beat him. I said, when I win, I want everybody to bow to me. The king will stand and he will reign again. And mm. so around that picture, if you look at the video, everyone's going crazy. They just announced my name. And that picture is me saying, I told you. The man who knows himself can never be misguided by other opinions. So it was just a point in my career and in my life where I, I would always go with my gut feeling because I just knew no matter what anyone told me, don't take the rematch straight away, have a warm-up fight. And he's got the quickest hands in the division. He's like uh, the Mexican Mike Tyson, this, that. He's at the, oh, I was just like, boy, I'm 100%. There's no way that boy can beat me. You know. So I just knew where I stood and that was me just showing the world that I, I backed myself man. and I'm two-time heavyweight champion of the world again. When you look back on that, when you look back on that fight, um, did it go exactly as you thought it was going to go? Went even better. It was a one-sided fight. It was, it was a, a classic display of the sweet science of hit and don't get hit. Take the belt with ease and get back on the gravy train. You know, Andy couldn't couldn't keep up. Um, he couldn't move his feet. He couldn't throw his hands fast enough to keep up with me. And uh, I think I won 11 out of the 12 rounds, if I was to be generous. And uh, I made history in Saudi Arabia, and I became two-time heavyweight champion of the world. When you were preparing for that fight, I mean, so much went into it. We don't have to go all the way back through it. But did you realize after the first fight, like, this guy's going to be really hard to hurt and knock out, so I've got to change everything? It was more to the point, not the, not the knockout part, because... If I wanted to go for it, I would have gone for it in certain times. Like from the first round, I'd already bust his eye. But that was going against 
my discipline and my tactic. But it was just the fact that, you know, tall fighters against short fighters don't mix it inside. It's like the rule 101 that I went against in my first fight. That's a tactical point of view. So from a tactical point of view, it was give him the sweet science, the Lennox Lewis versus David Tua. You know, the, uh, the, the stylistic, I wouldn't say the Tommy Hearns versus Sugar Ray because you know how that went, but the, the, the rangy boxer versus the shorter arm boxer, there's a way in what you go about victory and it's not going in there looking for a knockout. It's the word, if the knockout comes, then you take it, but don't go in there looking for it. And um, what did come out of that is the victory. And I think that leads on to these conversations that we're having now. And it's so, it's so satisfying to speak to you as two-time heavyweight champion of the world right now rather than saying, man, I tried to knock him out. I wanted to entertain. I just got, got a bit tired and he picked up four rounds in the later part of the fight and he just scraped the win. I'm, I'm champ and that's all. And that's what I'm happy about. You can see behind what it means to me. <laughs> if you had lost that fight, would you have retired? No way. I think that shows weakness in my own part. Even now, I sometimes think, you know, as I'm quarantining and isolating, I think, wow, retirement never looks so good. We haven't got nothing to do. So this is a, an indication of what we're working towards when we want to retire. But at the same time, I still have a burning desire of knowledge, um, of growth within me. And I think that aside, where do I put all that desire of growth and, and, and into? And I put it into boxing. So for me, until I say, you know, I'm content with the man I've become, I think that's when I retire. But at the minute, I still want to grow as a person and I put all that growth into my sport and I'm enjoying the man I'm becoming through it. So you're quarantined. I'm quarantined. I'm sure your house is a lot cooler than mine. Mm -hmm. uh, but what does quarantine life look like for Anthony Joshua? Well, I have no gym in my house. I have no large swimming pool. I'm actually um, at the family home with my mother, my niece, my son, my cousin. We all kind of quarantining together. So it's nice. Um, and look, there's a pandemic happening across the world, which we're all aware of. But for me and my family, none of my family, fortunately, have had um, any tragic losses or any massive uh, effects from the, from the virus. So what we try and take this, this advantage of is spending time because there'll be no time in a world like this where all of our families are together. Um, even for, for my niece, she's 12, my boy's four. So for them, it will be like, they'll be talking about this in the next 20 years. Like, do you remember that time when the whole world was isolated? So it's just trying to create memories for them to take to their friends and their kids when in, in the future to say it was a real good time to bond as a family. Do you, you know, you mentioned you don't have a gym in your house. Are you thinking about, all right, I have to try to stay in shape for eventually when things come back? So, you know, with boxing, why I chose boxing when I was younger is because it's, it's a sport that you don't really need much. So, you know, you need to keep fit. The reason why we do road work is to keep our legs in the later round. So, you know, running 45 minutes to an hour is perfect. So in the UK, the guidelines are exercise outside of your house, but to an hour. So I think that's what I do. I sometimes go cycling or I go running, which is enough. And then I shadow box in the garden, which is a lost art of boxing, the art of shadow boxing. So, I've been able to rekindle my love for the art of shadow boxing, concentrating for 12 rounds. So by the time this is over, I should be the shadow boxing champion of the world because that's <laughs> what I'm working on. And, you know, little things like burpees, press-ups, squat jumps, natural bodyweight exercises. You were tentatively scheduled to fight Kubra Pulev in June. Mm. When you talk to Eddie Hearn, what does he tell you about, about future plans? It's a great question. I think Eddie feels like the fight game will rekindle around, you know, July, August, you know, at small hall shows. But for, for bigger events and mass gatherings, which we're talking about, let's say festivals, um, sports events, I just think that will be on the back burner for a while. So until like the NBA announced that they're making a comeback, let's say the Hockey League, the NFL, soccer, um, I just wait and hear what's happening in other major sporting industries before I listen to anyone because, you know, the NBA is one of the biggest uh, sporting events in the world. So until they make an announcement that they're hosting one of their major NBA games again, I don't think boxing will, will come to pass quicker than that.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and I think one of the big questions is going to be when, like you said, large gatherings can take place. Um, I think boxing probably comes back first with, you know, closed door shows. Mm-hmm. But a guy like you, AJ, with, you know, you make like yeah, like eight, ten million dollars, maybe more on on live gates. I mean, if the only way you can fight in 2020 is behind closed doors, would you do it? It's a great question. You know, economically, I'm taking a big hit like the rest of the world, even like as I'm sitting here now. And even if I was to come back into my industry, but it's all about growth. You know, I would definitely fight, you know, for the love of my sport. And then economically, i got that hunger in me that, you know, even if I drop five, five dollars or five pounds on the floor, I'm turning back to get it. I'm never too big to earn a buck. So... <laughs> A hundred percent, you know, I would fight for, for less than $8 million. It's a godsend to fight for that kind of money and earn it on a gate. So a hundred percent, I'll take the opportunity to fight, you know, at the drop of a hat. When was the last time you fought in front of nobody? Um, I remember this was probably about 2008, well, actually, nine, 2009, when I would, you know, people would just be looking at me like in, in Hungary or like a European country where we would go to a tournament and there'll be like the Cuban team there, the, the, the Russian team there, the Uzbekistan team there. And it'll just be like the local Hungarians or, or someone that were watching. And that was that big guy from Great Britain that was fighting for, for, for the gold medal. So yeah, that was 2009, 2010 was like, you know, building towards the Olympics. Um, European championships and stuff like that, big or white. So ever since 2009, I've always been on major stages. Be- beyond the the economic impact of, you know, you would lose out on a lot of money, you're a guy that when you do fight in front of large crowds, those crowds are almost entirely there for you. They're all cheering for you and, and they're very supportive of you. How would that have, would that impact your fighting if you don't have that kind of, support around you you know 80,000 fans at Wembley Stadium kind of cheering your name would that impact your ability in the ring you know what Chris I think it will because you know when I've had time to reflect uh, it's been difficult when I come through so quick you know you're fighting in front of 80,000 people whether you like it or not there's a massive impact on your psyche on your confidence um, you know that, that urge to perform and when I was saying I'm going to come back to this fight game I've had time to think I'm embracing it. I'm performing for the crowd. I'm putting my right hand up here, jabbing with that hand. I'm showing people a new side of, of my skill set. That's what I'm saying about shadow boxing. I've been working on new things. So with that being said, yeah, it would be difficult to fight without the crowd there to entertain. But, you know, a win's a win and it goes down in history and this is just part of history. So what can I say? If Eddie Hearn put the opportunity and said, listen, I managed to secure the Tyson Fury fight but it's behind closed doors I would take it because I, if I don't take it now I don't think Tyson Fury would probably be around by the time this all come around again when big hall shows are available so I have to take the opportunities while they're there is what I'm trying to say Could you imagine I mean you versus Fury is probably the biggest fight in boxing you know easily the biggest fight in boxing <laughs> could you imagine that fight being behind closed doors that is like history in itself. Like, you know, we managed to secure the biggest fight, what the public have been screaming for, but there's been a national crisis, unfortunately, that uh, we all have to watch from our homes where we are isolating. And at the same time, even though there's been a big economic impact on, on the world, we're still charging you $30 for pay-per-view. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> like that. What would we do in that situation? You know, maybe have an exhibition fight for free and raise money for, for governments to, to support um, people that are struggling. Who knows? There'd be people, se- there'd be people selling media credentials out there <laughs> to try to get in to that fight if Joshua versus Fury. Um, yeah. one, of the, one of the fights that happened before, though, the, this crisis uh, came about, the pandemic came about, was Fury versus Wilder. I mean, a fight that you clearly have a vested interest in the outcome. What was your reaction to seeing Tyson Fury stop Deontay Wilder like that? Look, I could say a lot of things, but I'm only going to speak facts on this situation. You know, uh, Wilder's had, I think, 10 title defenses with that WBC belt. So I look across the 10 title defenses that he's had, you know, and I say, okay, he's fought um, Spilkar. He fought the the big guy, what's his name, uh, early on in his career. 
Uh, Brazil or no? no that was Brazil. Uh, Dorfus. Yeah. So he's for um, Spielcar Brazil Dorfus. He fought the main event twice. Um, he's for Ortiz twice. Ortiz twice. He's yeah. fought Fury twice, and I think he fought Chris Ariola or Molina. Uh, Ariola, because Ariola beat Seth Mitchell that time. Yeah. So Ariola. So within those ten, right? I looked at it and I said, okay, cool. We have. Tyson Fury twice, Ortiz twice, and in all, and they're the top tier fighters in his ten defenses, and all all of those, you know, four challenges that he's had, which are top tier fighters, he struggled with. So I thought, yeah, of course, Fury's gonna come back. He come back off a long layoff, you know, and I thought he will come back again and and get it right. I, I know what it ta- I know what it means to come so close and have it stripped away. So I just thought Tyson Fury would do exactly what he would do tactically wise. I could break that down, but in terms of how he went about it, I just believe that when Deontay Wilder gets to top tier level, um, it's going to be difficult for him to stay there due to the fact that he had had so long um, bubbling around mediocre fights. What did you think of the tactics, though? I mean, we've never seen a fighter take the fight to Deontay Wilder like that, kind of bully the bully. So that's it. So like, like Ruiz, you know, short, stocky fighter, he likes to plant his feet and punch. So with that being said, you're not going to go walking into a brick wall. You know, going to break it down, you know, jabbing, 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 then you throw a right hand. So with Deontay Wilder, um, he's a long-range fighter, so he normally puts people on their back foot um, and really, like, leverages off that right hand, comes flying in. So what, what Tyson Fury seems to have done is, you know, sat on his back foot and edged forward ever so slightly to put Deontay Wilder on his back foot, where I, I think that Deontay Wilder struggled on his back foot to a certain degree, which we've seen across different fights. So I think Tyson Fury analyzed the, the previous fight, realized that if you take away um, his half-decent jab and his good right hand, you know, he was slipping the right hand so it was shooting over. He had more of a chance in, in beating Deontay Wilder. So his tactics were spot on. Not only did he have the tactics to carry them out is another thing and he managed to do it. And um, after all the hard work, it paid off. So, you know, we have uh, two current heavyweight champions in Great Britain right now. So Wilder will be good if he steps aside. Pulev will be good if he steps aside. And we got this fight on because uh, it's one that the world is screaming for. Would you have fought uh, Deontay Wilder like that if that DAZN deal had come together last year? Would that have been a tactic you would have employed? It's easy for me to be like, yeah, that's it. I would have fought him exactly like that. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm going to be real, of course. That's the way to take it. So when you look in a, in a Warriors tool bag, okay, and I look in Deontay Wilder's tool bag of, of weapons, he has a right hand. So I say, how do we take that away from him? It's hard for a fighter to throw a powerful right hand moving backwards. So we need to put him on his back foot and be dominant in that sense. How do we take away the right hand when he's on his front foot? I need you to practice slipping it, making it shoot over your head, defending it with the lead hand. So these are tactics I would have done. And I thought, when I, once I take that main weapon away, it will be a problem. I've never really seen him hurt anyone with an uppercut. I've never really seen him hurt anyone with a right hand to the body or with a left hook. So when I looked in the Arsenal bag, I think that's the way. Pressure and take away his main weapon, which is his right hand, and then you're, you're, you know, you're 75% of the way to victory. So you mentioned it'd be nice if Wilder stepped aside. It'd be nice if Pulev stepped aside. Do you think that's realistic at this point, that you can get them to step aside so you can face Tyson Fury for the Undisputed Championship? No, because I do think the championship means a lot to these boys. I respect that. I know what the championship means. So as much as I would like them to, I just highly doubt it because I don't. I wouldn't do it. So, yeah, mm-hmm. unfortunately, it won't happen. But um, if a miracle did come across and they both decided to, I'll be, I don't need no warm-ups. I'm ready. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, you never would have. I mean, Eddie Hearn kind of said this, but if he said if he had ever gone to you and asked you to step aside, you would have told him, hell no. Yeah. Look, I know it's easy for me to say that and stuff like that. And after my loss to Ruiz and stuff, you know, it's easy to be under, underestimated, but I'm, I'm, so, I'm so fired up and so passionate and hungry to, to claim the number one stake as the heavyweight champion of the world. I'm fighting to hold on to my four belts, like <laughs> fighting governing bodies, fighting fighters, fighting against you know wilder and fury fans to say i'm I'm willing to fight so 
you know, to tell me to step aside, Eddie's right. I would have told him, hell no, no way. I've mm. got to prove myself because respect is such an honorable thing to carry, you know, for your family and for you as a person. So I want respect in this division. You don't do a lot of trash talk on social media, AJ, but were you tempted after Wilder lost to kind of respond in the same way he responded when you lost your titles? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I went into my drawer, pulled out my long list of things to say. You know, I've got a lot of things I can say about Wilder, <laughs> but, you know, you don't knock a man when he's down also. And that was, that was at the top of the list. So I have to stand by those principles. But for sure, I think me and Wilder, as I say, are cut from a different crop. You know, he's uh, he's what we call it begins with a B and ends with a H. I'm not like that. I'm more of a man. I don't really get on the Internet talking crud. The only times you've really seen me talk recklessly is against Dylan White um, and against Jarrell Miller. But other than that, I'm, I'm an ambassador of the sport. I'm trying to be clean. I'm trying to be um, represent my sponsorships, represent the zone properly. So I try to stay away from the. The, the, the typical stereotype of a heavyweight boxer. So it's difficult, but I, I have it in me to, to fire up and talk recklessly when needed. Do you think Wilder can win a third fight, or do you think it's a wrap, that he just can't beat Fury? I never write off any heavyweight because they say all it takes is one punch. And I think Wilder believed that himself. He said, you know, you got to be perfect for 12 rounds. I just got to be perfect for one second. <laughs> you believe the hype, you know? So, you know, in my opinion, yeah, I think that Fury will go in there and win again. But as I said, it's so true. All you have to do is, is catch him with one shot and um, and the tables can turn quickly. So uh, good luck to them both. And we'll see what happens when this is all done. You know, the early odds makers have said that if Fury fought you, he would be the favorite. I, I can't remember a time where you weren't the favorite. I mean, I think you were a slight favorite against Klitschko and mm. everything else. I think you were a favorite. So the only reason is because of that Ruiz fight. That's the only reason. And that's why I'm ready to redeem and put, put trust back into, into my stable. I get it. I get it. You know, after I went through what I went through and made no excuse, it must've seen that Ruiz beat the better man that night, you know? So I didn't make no excuse. So Ruiz must've believed that. Yeah. That night I beat the best at New Joshua. And that's cool to think that, but I'm working. I'm, it's, a, it's such a shame that I'm in quarantine right now because it's put a halt to greatness, but this is part of history. But I'm working towards beating Tyson Fury. So whether the bookmakers or the believers or the doubters want to be with me or not, I have to believe it. I'm working towards beating you know, Tyson Fury. And quickly, before I move on, it's, it's in a way overlooking Pulev. But I've got to look through Pulev because I'm going to walk through Pulev. That's the mindset. I've got to walk through him. When it comes to Pulev, he ain't on my level. I'm walking through him. I'm, I want the boys at the top. I ain't worried about the boys, you know, around me. I'm walking through them all. And that's the mindset that we have to have as fighters. So I'm looking at Tyson Fury. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk through him as well because I had, my, I had my issue last year. I got through it and I want to correct it. And I told you, like, people don't know what that does for a fighter mentally when he loses in front of the world and what it takes to come back. And, you know, having this time to reflect it's been a blessing in disguise. It's been a blessing in disguise. So we'll see what we'll see what the future holds. And when Fury and Wilder's ready, I tell, I'll tell you this: I, I will I will not turn down that, that offer at all. Is that is that a different mindset for you than this time last year? I mean, you were thinking Wilder before you were fighting Ruiz the first time. Is it? Do you are you thinking the same now, or has what happened to you last year changed your mindset? So it has changed. So as I'm not in training camp, like I'm not six weeks out where it's just Pulev, 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 or it's just Ruiz, Ruiz, Ruiz. I'm thinking of the whole division. I'm, I've got my, my marker pen out and I'm drawing everyone's name and everyone's in my sight. So at this present time, 100%, I'm saying, all right, if I get through him, then I got him. Then if I can get through him, then I can fight Usyk. If I get, you know, I'm putting all of them into the mix. So 100%. I'm thinking of the wider picture again. I'm feeling like a challenger, an underdog. As you said, I'm not number one with the bookie um, at the minute. And I've got to put my name back where it belongs. And that's just, all that is based on is trust. They have to trust that when I step in the ring, he, he, you know, bet against, I'm the house. If they bet against me, they're, mm. they're going to lose. And if they bet for me, they're going to win. I'm the house of the casino. So I've just got to put 
you know, trust back into my name. And I was going to do that by demolishing Pulev. I had, I was working towards greatness way before training camp started, but this is, you know, slow things down, but um, it's fine. I'll be ready mentally and physically when the time comes. Has You're one of those guys that had a really, you had a bird's eye view of Tyson Fury coming up because of, of, you know, where you are in the UK and where Fury came up. You know, for a long time, he was like the guy that punched himself in the face. Exactly. He was the guy that Steve Steve Cunningham knocked down. I mean, he was has he surprised you in how far? Yeah, man, exactly. Yeah, yeah no, he, he, well, yeah, he has surprised me, but I believe that every fighter needs time to develop. And I say, like, Tyson Fury has been professional now, like, what, 13 years? Since 2009, what were we in? 2009, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. What's that, 11 years? 11 years, mm-hmm. going on 12 years. He's had, he's had, he needed so much time to develop, you know, and he's finally got to a stage where he's found that straw of confidence, you know, so congratulations to him. So I just reflect that. And that's why, as you said, that bird's eye view, when I was studying these guys, Tyson Fury, when I was coming through, and I looked at my career and I said, whoa, I've done what took him 10 years to do in three years. Imagine where I'm going to be in 10 years. So I keep on moving through, I keep on moving through. And I get that I had my little issue with the Ruiz thing last year. But as I always say, another six years from now, when I'm, you know, where Tyson Fury is in times of time, I should be unstoppable because experience and wisdom is one of the greatest teachers. And that's what I'm gathering now is masses of knowledge about the, the boxing industry. Mm-hmm. All right, before I let you go, you are massively popular in the UK. You are very popular in the US, Madison Square Garden, selling out uh, the way that you did. I want to do a little US versus UK uh, challenge here with you. So you're going to tell me which is the better of, of the two uh, names I list, US or UK. And I'll start with the better Tyson, uh, Gypsy King or Iron Mike? USA. Iron Mike, then? 100%. Wait, wait. Let me okay. do something for you right uh, now quickly. Wait. Wait there, wait there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We've got Mike Tyson now as AJ's background on Zoom. Um, better boxer at 168, Callum Smith or Danny Jacobs? Why are you going to take me there? <laughs> I'm going to go difficult, man. I'm not going to answer that question. Okay. You put me <laughs> That's in a, fair. In a we'll leave that position. as a no answer. Yeah, please. Uh, better YouTube fighter, KSI or Jake Paul? KSI. Okay. Better venue, Wembley Stadium or Madison Square Garden? My humble opinion, my humble Wembley Stadium. It just, it can bring together a nation, you know, 80,000 seats compared to 20,000. That's what it comes down to, to me. I agree. Having seen both, you know, I love MSG, but Wembley Stadium is pretty badass. Okay, cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Uh, Better Eddie, Eddie Hearn or Eddie Murphy? (laughs) Eddie Hearn, you've seen his jokes these days on Insta Story, right? (laughs) Why did the chicken cross the road and all that? Eddie, Eddie, Eddie does good business and tells good jokes. He's he's pretty bored now. That Eddie heard. Uh, better rapper Stormzy or Drake? Drake. Okay. Better action hero James Bond or Ethan Hunt? James Bond. Okay. Better singer Adele or Beyonce? Beyonce. Okay. Uh, better brew tea or coffee? Coffee all day. I'm with you there. Uh, better pub grub, fish and chips or burgers and fries? Burgers and fries. Mm-hmm. Uh, better nerdy franchise, Harry Potter or Star Wars? Ooh. Star Wars. That's a tough one for you. I'll That's probably a say tough Star one. Wars. Okay. Uh, better Prince, Prince William or Prince the Artist? <laughs> What a purple rain. Purple <laughs> there you go. Rain. Prince the and Artist. And lastly, be, Prince the Artist. Yeah. Lastly, better blonde chef whose name starts with the letter G, Gordon Ramsay or Guy Fieri? Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> you went to 
You went with a lot of American uh, answers there, AJ. I got to tell you. I'm trying to get the American public on my side. <laughs> That's what the management team tell me. You need to get the Americans on your side, champ. <laughs> Does it, you know, you, you, you had that one fight at MSG. You, I know you wanted to fight there badly going into it. Does it still burn inside you to get another fight there and to get a win on U.S. soil? You know, you're, you're, you're somehow teleporting into my brain because that's always been my thoughts that before it's all said and done, I will return to MSG. Mm. Well, we're glad to hear that. AJ, uh, good luck during the quarantine, man. Always appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully, whether it's behind closed doors or outdoors, we see you back in that ring uh, real soon. Thanks for God joining bless us. You. Thank you very much. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count.